Hey, you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble falling asleep? Well, welcome. I I hope I believe you're in the right place. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that's here to put you to sleep. Tonight we do it with Game of Drones. Our Game of Thrones episodes, where I talk about an episode of Game of Thrones. I repeatedly use the word episode. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. I'm going to do the rest. What, what does that mean? I'm going to create a safe place where you can set aside whatever's running through your brain. Particularly if you got a case of what we used to call the Sunday Scaries. Where your brain's like, oh dear, oh boy, life... Major, it's time to go to bed. Time to think about major life changes. Time to re readjust, change the direction of the entire ship. You know, those kind of thoughts start creeping at you Sunday night, and you're like, one part, a little part, he's like, well, I'd just like to get some sleep, actually. I got that meeting. Oh, no, yeah, we got that meeting in the morning. And major life change. Look at the what, you know, look at the, the, your age. And where, you know, now uh, those. That voice is, is misguided in trying to help you, but it, we don't need the Sunday scaries because, you know, it's, it's just not the best time to be uh, perusing major life decisions Sunday evening. So instead of doing that, this is the option I offer. You can take me up on it or not. Uh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about an episode of Game of Thrones. I'm going to go through it bit by bit, discuss it, quote some dialogue, do some paraphrasing. And I'm going to say, well, you know, one thing about this episode that stuck out to me was, uh, you know, toothpicks. Uh, what is a toothpick? Something like that. And I'll be like, oh, that reminds me of a story. And I'll do that. And then I'll go on for about an hour between between the episode discussion and that. And then we'll cap it off. If somehow you're still awake, we'll have a little visit from Sir Tom and Sir Pounce, the two best friends that now I'm contractually required are the best friends in the history of friendship, according to the United Friendship Council. Uh, this message is approved by Sir Tom and his, his grace, and Sir Pounce, his grace. Really, i got to say his grace twice. And then I'll pray to the old gods and the new. And hopefully in, in that hour and a half to two hours, you'll drift off into dreamland. That's the point here. We're a podcast that puts you to sleep by giving you a little something to distract you. That should, you know, take your mind off of stuff, but that's not incredibly gripping in the way that, say, something you'd, uh, you know, something that's interesting would be. It's like, well, okay, I've used toothpicks before. What's this guy going to talk about? Oh, tooth. Oh, yeah. This guy, I'm just going to close my eyes here. Suddenly, I'm not thinking about major life changes. I'm just thinking about this boy saying that he, uh, his childhood dream was to buy his own toothpicks. Wait, was that his dream? Were they rainbow? What was he saying about rainbow toothpicks versus green? I don't remember because I must, you know. And then you'll wake up the next day, ideally with seven, eight, six, seven, eight hours of sleep under your belly. You'll say, hey, wow, did Wait, was I listening to that podcast last night? Was that a dream? Man, I'm gonna. Fl- I feel like flossing my teeth. I'll tell you what, and and just getting this day, get, getting it going with. Uh, well, maybe I need some coffee, but you know, then, then I'll get this day going, or something like that. That's it. We're the podcast that's here to put you to sleep. That that's what the goal is. 
We do Game of Thrones drones episodes on Sundays. We have non-Game of Thrones stuff on Tuesday and Thursday. So that, that's it. Uh, I hope I hope it, you know, try it out, see if it works. It's a little strange, silly, but the goal is just to distract your racing mind, give you something to fixate. Well, you don't even fixate on it. You just notice it. Like kind of like if you're you're driving. I do this a lot of times, like what I'm doing now. Like I just try to reach for metaphors. Let's say you're driving in a car. You say you're with somebody else. You say, hey, what what state was that license plate? I don't know. I missed it. But, you know, I forgot that I hated that song on the radio. So by, what, you know, do you want to play the license plate game? Normally, you know, geez, that'll be fun for, you know, four minutes. It, something like that. You know, you say, hey, what, what, what was that that went by there? I don't know. I was really reaching on that one. I think there's a, probably a decent metaphor in there, but it, that's the, for the daytime decent metaphor podcast hosted by hosted by Genius McBrainy, who, uh, who who you know makes the greatest metaphors in the history of uh, similes and metaphors. So that's it. I'm here to help you fall asleep. We're on the web www.sleepwithmepodcast.com as a general. Loves to hear drone, Game of Drones episodes for Sleeping Podcasts Drones. And uh, we're on uh, Twitter, at Dearest Scooter. Facebook, you can find us. You can email me, feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com. Hey, uh, what else? You can comment on the website. I love hearing from people. I've heard some mind-blowing stories this week from people around the globe. The Earth, the planet Earth, not the globe. People around a globe. Actually, huh, I wonder around, you know, people around a globe. That's actually a good way to uh, gather. That's something good to gather on. Hey, I'm looking at New York State here. Well, I can't see it. Oh, let me spin the globe around. Now you can see it. Uh, oh, hey, well, I'm on your left. I can't see it. Oh, let me keep spinning. It's kind of like a, what do they call it, Lazy Susan. Um. So you could gather around a globe as opposed to you gather around a map and then be like, well, you know, Turkmenistan's upside down to me, so it's really hard for me to understand what you're talking about. And that isthmus actually looks like a, uh, you know, penis because it's upside down. I'm, you know, I don't, is that what an isthmus is? I don't know. But so that's what we're here for to help you fall asleep. I do it with episode discussion, and that's it. I'm glad you're here, and I hope I successfully help you fall asleep. Thanks. All right, it's not time for my uh, gratitude. Uh, thanks, Crone, Crone, Sweet Crone, Miller Smith, Barky, Jester. Uh, thank thank um, T-H-Y-A-N-K-Y-O-U-S. Thank yous. As they say in the region between... At some point when you leave New York and then you reach Philadelphia, thank yous, guys, uh, for all that you do for me. But particularly thank you for Chris Posty Posterson, who does our music, Scotty and Jennifer, who do our art, he, uh, uh, you know, people like the Silvertone, Lauren Lady, the Frenestrator, uh, all so many other supporting people that are out there constantly supporting the show. 
Uh, but I, I got to get straight into the thanks, gods. I want to thank she, she, some new people or some people I've recently met. I want to thank Sheila S., Libby, Casey, Geeky Girl, Annie. Geeky Girl, I'm working on getting the post office today, as a matter of fact. Uh, Rebel, uh, a.k.a. Iante. Iante. Uh, rhymes with Dante. I think I have it right, but probably not. Toby, happy mom. Mum. Speaking of moms, I want to thank uh, Ghana, Defrenestrator, Faye, Silvertone, and all the rest of you for your support. Mom, if you're listening, you know, that would be weird because I might be with you. Oh, no, wait, this is... Uh, anyway, uh, uh, I want to thank uh, Yamilia. Yamilia, that's, I think that's J-A-M-I-L-A. Uh, I had a friend uh, for her comments, Andy for his comments. My name Warren, Kyla, Marcus, Tomas, Mike appears again uh, for their lovely email, you know, lovely, lovely emails and support. A uh, new listener on Facebook, Elizabeth. Say hi to you, Pat, Kevin, Babs, Richard, Bonnie, Kelly, Patty. Past couple of days on Facebook. New iTunes reviews over here, at least in the U.S. store. I think this is the most recent one is uh, Bedtime Best Buddies. That's from 72469.us. 72469.us reporting in. This is my best time, best buddy. Uh, it says, you know, make forward to. They. they they say you make for I make you make it forward to looking to go to bed. I'm like a male grandmother. <laughs> that's paraphrasing, but that's great. I like that. Yeah. So thank you. Uh, love pie in honor of pie day, but not on pie day. Pie said uh, pie twelve seventeen, but I think three three point one four was all those other numbers. But anyway, Pi twelve seventeen said, "They uh, love the podcast, and it's like uh, silence is a never-ending NASCAR race of, uh, of thoughts in the brain." Thanks, thanks. You know, dropping a little. Then this one gets a little weird over here. Victor Merck, good old Victor Merck, says, "Good but weird coincidence." Victor Merck was listening and heard the words Ubuntu or you know whatever my pronunciation was at the time. Dell, Latitude, Hackintosh, all. While he's trying to drift off into dreamland, he or she, uh, Victor, I don't know, that's usually the guy's name, but uh, he said, they said uh, they recently put Mbutu on a Dell Latitude. Sister wants, either his sister built a Hackintosh or wants him to build a Hackintosh. So, yeah, the world of... Uh, uh, you know, computer, uh, you know, Scanly experimenting in dream time. Yeah, computer, you know, thanks, Victor. I'm, I'm glad that we're having a coalescence of uh, computer uh, tests, you know, trying to get these friggin' things to work, save, you know, affordability, a little, a little DIY action, I guess. I don't want to, you know, kind of D, G, why don't they Google it yourself? Yeah, why don't they call it G-I-Y? That's more of what I'm doing instead of doing it myself. I'm Google G-I-Y. Any lawyers out there, patent attorneys, trademark, whatever the hell you call it, can you get that filed for me?
with the uh, the holiday and the other stuff I need. Prep the lawsuits for that. GIY. Google it yourself. Actually, it could be an insult, too. You know, hey, Google it yourself. Anyway, gods, you don't know what I'm talking about, do you? Uh, J-Lo says, uh, sweet Z's, J-Lo SF. Uh, says it works, period. That's all that needs to be said. Thank you. And then I think this one, uh, it works for me from Reader of Magazines, which is like, uh, that's like a uh, like petter of zebras or something. That's very rare nowadays, Reader of Magazines, as we watch. Is it you know, not necessarily a good thing either? Uh, I don't know. Would it be a good thing to have more more magazines, print magazines? Probably. Good. I don't know. We'll have to. It'll have. To, we'll have to see how it turns out. But more zebras. Maybe we wouldn't appreciate. It. We'd be like, oh, there goes another zebra. Like, like if if deer were zebras, would people? Because deers are cute too, but then they get on people's nerves. And it's just a thought. Don't go out and paint any deer though. But Reader Magazine says it works for them. This isn't like a normal sleep meditation. It's a guy soothing, funny-sounding voice uh, telling a story. Can't completely describe it, but I never never heard a whole show. Thank you. Thank you all for your ongoing support, gods. Thank you for overseeing it, you know, with flawless non-effort through the magic of your powers or whatever influence or spiritual essences, uh, you know, all that you do that is done in your, you know, or all that you take credit for, as I like to think, is done for, you know, for for you guys to get more praise, but maybe. I don't know. I guess I'm, uh, you know, maybe I'm in a little grouchy mood with you guys. I don't know. I, my, my blaspheming. Okay, are you guys, you guys never, I never, well, is it is blaspheming a word to you guys? I don't know, but we got to move on, guys. Thank you for all the support you give, though. Right, all right, everybody, we're back uh, with another episode of Game of Thrones. This is season three, episode six, believe it or not, The Climb, which, which meaning, what do you mean when you say climb? Well, I'm going to tell you, you'll find out, I, I bet you. Or will you uh, pay attention? Maybe more to the episode than to me. This sets up, starts out with uh, Gilly and Sam, and Sam's trying to light a fire. She says, uh, you know, you're putting too much wood on it. You need to let it breathe. I don't know if that's a romantic tip. He says, oh, you know your fires. And then she's like, wait a second, are you highborn? There were people making fires from you. And then he's like, yeah, I want to show you something, Gilly. He shows her the obsidian. I don't know if he doesn't realize it's a, a spearhead or a giant arrowhead, but because uh, she's like, what is this? He's like, well, I don't know. I just think it's cool. And she's like, oh, you had somebody do your fires for you. And then he's like, tell me about the wall. And he's like, it's 700 feet high. He talks about how high it is. That you can barely see the top some days. Uh, some days you can see it weeping or breathing. And then he's like, okay, let me tell you about Castle Black. There's always a fire there. And you got Hobbs cooking the stew. You got Darian singing a song. And it sounds a lot better than it really is. Sam should be a, uh, you know, maybe he should be a cruise director. He wouldn't be bad. Assistant cruise director, maybe, for Sam. And then she says, can you sing me a song? And Sam says, sure. 
in this, uh, I forgot to look this song up for the rest of it, but he says, The father's face is stern and strong. He sits and judges right from wrong. He weighs our lives the short and long and loves the little children. The mother gives the gift of life and watches over every wife. Her gentle smile ends all strife, and she loves her little children. So that's a nice, I mean, Sam's the best, you know, he's a great guy. And then the next thing we got uh, Osha and uh, uh, the young woman there, and they're having a little uh, back and forth about how many different ways you can skin a rabbit. And then it's a very nice comic relief because then you got Bran like, enough, you two. They got to deal with Rickon and his walnuts, and uh, you two get along. And then they're like, okay, truce. And they're like, no, truce, no, you have, I don't like you. Okay, it's just funny. But then Jojin goes into a seizure because he's having visions. And she's like, you know, the visions take their toll on him. And Jojin says, I saw Jon Snow on the wrong side of the wall, surrounded by enemies. And then holy transition, we got John in a great talking about climbing the wall with Tormund. And we're talking about how he, I think he's like, hey, I'm a little scared. And she's like, Tormund's climbed this thing like 50 times. Here, let's put some crampons. I got, I got you some crampons, sweetie pie. And they share a little moment there. And she says, I really like her, uh, what's that, demeanor, countenance? I think I like her countenance. And she says, you're a proper lover, Jon Snow. That's that's not a bad agreed. I go, you're a proper lover, Jon Snow. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's a pretty good agreed. And he, she says, don't worry, your secret's safe with me. He's like, which secret? This is just like the secret you don't barely knew what you were doing except with your tongue. And, and he goes, no, 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 my other secret. And she goes, yeah, no, that's what I really meant. And she goes, you're loyal, you're brave. And, you know, I know you're still a crow, but I'm your woman now. So we're in it together, you know, you're, and you're loyal to me first. You got that. And he's like, uh, yeah, of course, honey bear. And then Tormund's like, you know, hey, are you guys ready to roll? Make sure to sink your metal deep into the ice. Then next up we got Arya doing arrow practice with the archer guy. And she's doing her mantra as she shoots the arrows, you know, Samirin. I mean, she doesn't say it like that when she's shooting an arrow, though. And he he's like, you took your sweet time. It's not going to be like that when you're fighting. Uh, fighting strong, you're fighting strong, man. He's like, never hold your bow. Never aim. Your eye knows where, where it wants it to go. And then she says, hey, there's someone out there. And everyone's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then the red woman shows up. And she's like, hey, Thoros of Mir, what up? And he's like, what about, what happened to your mission for the high priest? And then she sees, uh, and then she says something about, uh, I don't know if she sees Beric Dondarrion or she said, how many times have you brought him back? He's like six. I didn't bring him back. The Lord did. And he's like, I've been a terrible priest. I'm a, you know, I drink too much rum. I was sleeping with uh, the prostitutes in King's Landing. Uh, but then you hear a little bit about the Rossi says that. You know, when I got to Westeros, I didn't believe in our Lord. I decided that he, that all gods were stories, make the children behave. 
So I wore the ro robes, you know, faked it, and put on a show. And then uh, when I brought my, my best friend here back to life, he's like, I just said the only words I knew in the... And he goes, and I was like, oh, boy, this uh, Lord of Light is something to behold. And then she sees Beric Dondarrion, and she's like, hey, you've been to the other side, haven't you? And he says, there is no other side. There's a, I've been to the darkness, my lady. And then she says, okay, well, I'm here for something. And they're like, okay, what do you need? And they get right there, like, oh, Gendry, and they get right to it. They, they take Gendry. And they throw, you know, they give him gold. And Arya, of course, is uh, justfully angry. And she gets right in the uh, woman's, red woman's face. And she's like, uh, looks in Arya's eyes. And I think she even gives her a little eye check, you know, to make sure there's no... She's like, are you seeing floaters? And she says, oh, wait a second. Uh, green eyes, blue eyes, red eyes. I, I, you know, I see you closing all these eyes. I see a darkness in you. And then she's like, I'm sure we'll meet again. And then they take uh, Gendry off in a cart. And then we're back with, with uh, the climb, and they're doing a safety check and using all their safety equipment, which I was very impressed by. Or maybe they're already climbing. But then, you know, there's a little accident. Jon Snow gets hit in the head, but the safety equipment works. And then we're back with Theon. And the, uh, the, uh, what do you call it? This, this guy, which may be perfect casting. I'm not sure, uh, how I feel. I, my loathing for this character is so great. But he says, uh, you know, you, you're, see, and I know you're wondering who I am and where you are and why, why I'm doing this. Let's play a guessing game. You know, and Theon's like, well, what if I get it right? He's like, well, if you think this has a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention. I wonder if that's a message to us, the viewers, uh, not just about this one situation. So pay attention. You know, so keep that in mind moving forward if this is your first trip. Uh, well, if you've watched the first season, two seasons, you, you know. And then we have Rob meeting with uh, Walter Walter Frey's guy, guys. And he's like, what are your demands? And he said, Hall and Lord Edmure's got to marry... Uh, one of one of his daughters, or maybe it's their sisters. I don't know if his, those are his sons. And Edmure is like, no. Which what we know about Blackfish now. Then the Blackfish is like, you you know you're doing it. And so what is this little hypocrisy going on here? Because now everybody's on Edmure's case to get married. But anyway, Rob's like, come on, man, you screwed me up with that stone mill battle. You got to do this for me. I don't have time to haggle or for you to be picky. I need you to take one for the team, marry one for the team. He says, I've won every battle, but I'm losing the war. And then we have a scene with uh, Bruce Bolton and Jamie and Brianne eating dinner. And Brianne's dressed nicely. And Bruce is like, I see someone finally got you some decent things to wear. And Jamie's uh, trying to eat his meat. And Brianne and Bruce are talking. And Jamie's like, you know, while, while you're watching me fail at dinner, you know, I'm just wondering what your plan is. And then we know also another important thing is Bruce Bolton doesn't drink. I don't know if that's religious or he had like a similar problem to me with the drink, but we, we, who knows? But was, I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting. But Jamie's like, oh, you know, I want to get your angle. What's your angle on this? You know, my father, you're not going to get away with this unless you do go do the Lannister thing. 
But the thing about Bruce Bolton, he's very uh, calm and collected. He seems to have his angle already set, but he's like, you know, joking with Jamie because he's like, well, Jamie, you have a great point. I could just get rid of you both. And Jamie's like, uh, my daddy would still find out. And Bruce is like, well. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, I, I'm just going to send you back home. I want you to be perfectly honest about what happened. You know, I didn't really have anything to do with you losing your hand. And, you know, my credit for sending you back. And then Jamie's like, well, I guess me and Brianna are going to be heading out in the morning. And, and Bolton's like, no, 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 no. You know, she's busted for uh, helping out Rob Stark's mom, Caitlin Stark. She's a traitor. You can go home to your powerful family, but she doesn't have any powerful allies. And then James like, oh, boy. And then our next scene is another good one with uh, Oleana and uh, Oleana and Tywin going back and forth. And she's a, she, he's like, my son is a, you know, the top bachelor. And he's like, my daughter's you know mother of the king, most beautiful woman in the seven kingdoms, rich. She's like, no, she's old. And he's like, well, you know, you know, we're all getting old, but she's still young and beautiful. And plus, you know, he, then he drops a, well, I know what your son's been up to in the bedroom. And she's like, yeah, I don't have any, you know, way to deny that. And he's like, well, then your son's lucky to be marrying my daughter. And she's like, oh, boy, uh, somebody needs to be uh, knocked down a peg. She's like, uh, you know, you never... Uh, Put it all around there, Tywin. He's like, oh, no, never. And she's like, well, that's, uh, she's like, you might have, you know, she's like, I see nature, you know, the natural way. I don't know how you see it. He's like, the, she's like, these things have been known to happen. And she's like, but, but, you know, that's called experimentation. She's like, what's been going on in the bedrooms under your watch is a little bit beyond experimentation. Uh, I think she says, uh, we don't tie ourselves in knots over a discreet bit of buggery, but uh, brothers and sisters. And he's like, I don't want to hear about it. And uh, she's like, well, you better hope nobody else hears about it because, uh, you know, people will take up arms. And he's like, I don't care uh, what the people believe. And she's like, well, I do. Like, I'm not going to, if it's true, I'm going to have, you know, you're putting me in a tough spot. And he's like, well, you can marry Loris to Cersei or will be in the King's Guard. And that'll be it. No children. No Tyrell children. I'll, you know, that'll be in the end of your line. And then Joffrey and uh, Marjorie's kids will have Highgarden. And she's like, oh, boy, you got me. And then she says the closing line says, uh, it's a rare thing. A man who lives up to his reputation. And then we're climbing the wall, and uh, there's like a bunch of action scene, I guess you'd say. Like the rope breaks, or the wall cracks, a bunch of people get plummeted, Robin, uh, or uh, the wall cracks, a bunch of people fall, Robin, uh, a great fall, but they catch themselves because, the, again, the safety equipment. Tormund manages to save the, both of them and... Uh, Mackenzie from the office, and then Mackenzie's like, I don't, you know, I have, I'm envious of John, and, uh, you know, I want to cut him loose, so he's cutting him loose, but John saves him in a great, and then a great goes right back to climbing, she didn't even blink, she's like, well, that was a close call, 
Uh, let's get back to work. And then we have this awesome, awkward scene with Loris and Sansa. And the Tyrells, uh, even though they're, they're brother and sister and not in reality, I don't know if the, the acting, they both share wonderful like uh, looks because she says, uh, she says, oh, that's a wonderful pin. And Loris says, well, it's more of a brooch, really. Though I suppose a brooch is a sort of pin, and he makes this face. It's just it was so wonderful. And then I was like, man, this guy could have his own podcast. That's like a tangent. I would go on, well, it's a man. Here's a brooch of pen. What is that? What is that? A brooch. A bro- brooch. You know, why me? Why brooch? Or do we want a brooch? You know. And, and then they kind of talk about the wedding. And Sansa seems very excited. And Laura seems, uh, he's like, okay, well, I can deal with this. You're very nice. As long as we both get the hell out of this King's Landing because it's a hellhole. And Sansa's like, I cannot wait to leave here. All bad memories. She's like, do you think my family could be able to come to the wedding? Oh, no, she says that's a Shay later. But, but, you know, we're setting Sansa up for disappointment right now. Sorry about that. Then we have another scene for the ages with Tyrion and Cersei. And Tyrion's like, well, I guess we're marrying these two, huh? And Cersei's like, well, we could have them both killed. And it's like, uh, well, it's hard to say who's in the worst spot here. And Tyrion's like, I'm pretty sure Sansa. And he goes, oh, Loras will come to uh, know a deep and singular misery. And he said, well, Father, you know, we're all getting punished. And, and Tyrion, just like a younger brother, is like, well, it's on a boat you built. It's your fault. She's like, I, you know, I'm trying to protect our family. He's like, I'm your family. This is more of a sad twit tinge. You know, I'm, I've been trying to defend our family, whether you or father are going to give me any credit. She's like, well, I'll give you some credit. You played a little trick. You did a little dance. So, yeah, you bought the time till dad got here. And he's like, well, why'd you try to have me killed then? Do you admit that? And then he says, you know, there's only two people that could do it. And she gives him a very, very subtle look. Or maybe no look is the subtle. And he says, oh, it's Joffrey. He doesn't even say it's Joffrey. His look is like, oh, Joffrey. And he's like, so Joffrey's out to get me. And he's like, well, why? What a bad idea to take me out during a battle just because I embarrassed him. And he's like, is he still out to get me? And she's like, probably. But, you know, while Grandpa's here, he's scared of Grandpa. And uh, I think it's time Tyrion says, Seven Kingdoms in Fear of Tywin. And he says, well, the Tyrells aren't afraid of him or something. And, and then she says, uh, uh, soon Joffrey will belong to Marjorie the Doe-Eyed Whore. And she's like, history's about to be taken from us. And he's like, well, you might get out of it if Jamie comes back. And she's like, when, when's Jamie, when do you think he's going to come back? He goes, I don't know, but I'm the one that's really screwed. Then we have Sansa getting her dress uh, with talking to Shay. And she's, uh, she's like, oh, this is so great. You know, yeah, do you think my family come for the wedding? She's like, I doubt it. And then Tyrion's like, I got to break some news to Sansa, Shay. Do you think I could uh, talk to her alone? And Sansa's like, I trust her. He's like, well... You know, you, she might want to hear this in another circumstances if you catch my drift, Shay. And she's like, it's fine. 
Why do you want to be alone with this beautiful young girl? He's like, well, this is a little bit awkward. And then we go to this other scene with Baelish and Varys. We've had a couple of these. But this is a great one I wrote. Let's see what I got written here. Uh, Baelish is sitting right next to the throne just staring at it. And uh, Varys comes in. He says, a thousand blades taken from Aegon's enemies, you know, fought forging the dragon fire. And Baelish says, there's not a thousand blades here, not even 200. I've counted. And he's like, ugly, what an ugly throne. And Baelish says, well, it has a certain appeal. And then Baelish, or uh, Varys says, it's like the Lady Aaron of Chairs, which, you know, we remember Lady Aaron the lunatic. And she's not exactly, um, and, she, and on top of, you know, she, she hasn't even been outdoors, it seems like, in years. She's kind of has the complexion of, like, Gollum. And he says, well, you're too bad you had to sit, settle for her, your second choice. And Bailey says, early days, man, don't worry. I'm playing a long con. He says, I'm flattered you're so worried about me getting what I want. And he's like, well, Barris is like, well, it's not, you know, I'm not out to get you. Uh, although, who doesn't like to see their friends fail? And then he's like, well, you know, you were going to try to give Sansa to the Tyrells. And, you know, I had to do that. And he's like, well, you know, I dealt with that leak. I'm a really, yeah, sense of a devil. I mean, the Baelish is pretty close to being the devil in this scene, at least. Varys, not exactly an angel, but a, a force of, I mean, he seems to be battling for the realm. And then we get a Baelish, uh, it goes from Baelish is still talking, uh, let's see, let me find my notes here. It goes like a Baelish voiceover, he says, I did what I did for the realm, or that's what Varys says in the realm. He's like, do you know what the realm is? It's the thousand blades of Aegon's enemies, a story we agree to tell each other on over and over till we forget it's a lie. But what do we have left without the lie? Chaos. A gaping pit to swallow us all. Chaos isn't a pit. Chaos is a ladder. Uh, many who try to climb it fail and never get to try again. The fall breaks them. But some are given a chance to climb and they refuse. They cling to the realm. Or gods or love illusions. Only the ladder is real. The climb is all there is. And meanwhile, during that voiceover, you see Sansa crying, devastated, and then John and Agreed uh, finishing their climb, getting to the top exhausted. And then Agreed finally has a view from the top of the wall that either she was talking about in the earlier episode, or uh, I think she was talking about it, but also Gilly was kind of interested in it. And she gets to see both sides of the world. And, you know, the, the sun breaks through, a bird crows or caws, and there's this wonderful panorama, and there's music, and they, her and John kiss. Very, uh, very, uh, like even the, there's a little bit of snow, there's mist coming off the snow, but, uh, you know, it goes back to the lines, a gaping pit waiting to swallow us all. Chaos isn't a pit, it's chaos is a ladder. Many who try to climb, fall, or fail, never climb again. The fall breaks them. Some are try, given a chance, but they don't do it. They cling to the realm 
or a god's or love illusions. Only the latter is real. The climb is all there is. I guess, depending on how you take his words, wise words, or, you know, wise words from a lunatic, or uh, lunatic words from a lunatic, but, uh, so that's the climb. It's all there is, according to Lord Baelish. And when Sansa's crying, one more thing I just remembered in my mind is that, uh, uh, Baelish's boat's out there with the mockingbird symbol on the uh, sails, and she's looking at it, knowing that she's not going to get away, current, you know. So that's the climb. All right, so one thing was like all this climbing they're doing, and, you know, one of the climbs from this episode made me think, like, one, I, 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 it would be cool to do ice climbing, but way too cold for my taste. Uh, I don't. I, I like skiing or snowboarding, but you know, and and sledding. But you know, I live in California. Yeah, I don't have. I, I mean, maybe I would like it. But anyway, I was like, well, how do you get started anyway? So I found a couple of nice articles. This one is from Outside Magazine. Uh, how do I get started ice climbing? Uh, by Stephanie Pearson, December six, twenty eleven. Uh, professional. Climber and mountain guide Carolyn George shares her ice climbing tips. Carolyn George is a professional climber and guide based in Salt Lake City. On Friday, she'll be in Highlight Canyon to teach a women's only ice climbing clinic with Kitty Calhoun as a part of part of this uh, ice festival. Uh, we caught up with we caught up with George to get some advice for new and prospective climbers. What's the appeal of ice climbing? For me, it's fun. Uh, for me, it's the people and the fun community aspect of the competitions. I also like the medium, even though it's somewhat less accessible because you have to learn about structure of ice and avalanche hazards. There's also a masochistic aspect to ice climbing. Of course, it's cold and you're always in the shade, but it's one of the most rewarding sports I've been taking part in. What's your uh, favorite place to ice climb? Uh, the Banff Canmore area is heaven on earth. You can park your car along a highway and do a thousand foot climb without even hiking very far. The uh, whole area has a high concentration of world class routes. Uh, what should a beginner look for in gear? There are uh, there are tons of crampon options in the market. Not to mention boots. The boots I climb in are shaped for ice in that they have a stiff, rigid sole, and they're asymmetrical so that your big toe faces inward and mimics what they would do in a technical rock-climbing shoe. I also recommend a monopoint crampon that can be adapted to mixed climbing. It's good to have one pair of crampons that fit every purpose, and the right monopoint will work just as well for beginners as for advanced climbers. I wear my same harness for rock and ice climbing. It fits over my pants or my shorts, depending on the weather. I generally avoid metal buckles, which just make me cold. That's from Stephanie Pearson. And then over at Active.com, we have an article by Marty Bash, B-A-S-H. Step in a winter's, winter's vertical freezer, a beginner's guide to ice climbing. I don't have a date. But it says uh, ice can be nice, not cubes chilling a spicy Bloody Mary or the treacherous slayer coating a city sidewalk. The ice comes in forms 
like cauliflower pillars, chandeliers, mushrooms, and bulges of vertical blue. Taking ice axe, crampons, ice screws, ropes, and layers of clothing, and you can play a slippery game in winter's freezer. Try an ominous-sounding clo- ominous frozen climb like Dracula on Frankenstein Cliff and New Hampshire's Crawford Notch or Scala Sea of Blue on the flanks of Mausch Pishka in Vermont's northeastern kingdom above the gleam of Lake Willoughby. At one time, climbers in New England would hang up their ropes when winter rolled around no more. A tidal wave of technology has improved equipment so that the region's frozen waterfalls, gullies, and slides can be climbed from early December till mid-April. Still, ice is not a hot part of winter for many. While it may morph into many forms, it's still cold. What's the appeal of clinging to a 200-foot slab of ice on a sub-zero day? trusting one's total being on few screws and carboners. Ice is ephemeral in nature, structure, color, shapes, and size, and can change on a daily basis. So the sport has to be efficient, technical, and precise. An appreciation for tools helps, and each piece of equipment has an exact purpose. Climbers use basic belaying and rope handling, but the sport is also a bit like playing beat the clock. Sudden changes in wind, temperature, and visibility can turn a pleasant climb into a life-or-death situation. Melting ice off alters a route. Fear can freeze climbers like, well, ice. Climbers also have a limited amount of energy for each climb. Thus, placement of the ice tool should be precise. It's a difficult one to answer, says Andy. Orsini, a financial consultant and ice climber for over a decade, he recently moved from Newton, Mass., to New Hampshire's Mount Washington Valley. You hear about people trying to conquer nature in sports like climbing, sailing, and cycling, kayaking. You can never conquer nature, but you can do your best within the parameters nature has to offer. That is what I like about ice climbing. I think a lot of folks are looking to do something totally different, whether it be ice climbing or rock climbing, says George Gardner, a Vermont college professor and guide. People are just... uh. People are just able to get into a foreign environment that is different from their daily lives and step out into some unknown areas. Safety is at the forefront of a climber's mind. The sharp tools themselves can turn into lethal weapons. One misplaced clamp crampon can cause a fall. Extreme cold and inexperience can team up for a disaster. Falling ice avalanches can be deadly. Better climbers are faster on the ice and treat the sport like a chess match. Looking ahead, various moves. Novices tend to have the most trouble, but the yearly Washington Valley Ice Festival held around Valentine's Day in North Conway, Vermont, in North Conway, New Hampshire, gives everyone a chance to try the sport out in a safe and knowledgeable environment. All types of climbers are attracted to the festival. Beginners try their luck in the basic class, while more advanced ice jockeys learn to hold the vertical ice and mountaineering skills hone. In the basic class, ten would-be ice climbers begin the morning approach to Lost in the Woods along the snow-covered train tracks from the Aruthra Falls Trailhead in Crawford Notch. Crossing a trestle guides point to a natural amphitheater where dots called climbers scale the vertical blue routes like Chia and Smear. Just before heading up a steep 40% pitch to the base of the ice, the guides give a lesson on putting on gear like harnesses, crampons, and helmets. Then it's up to the ice and a lesson on the proper use of crampons, axe ices, 
axes, ice axes, ropes, and the belay system. There's a social element to the lessons, and confidence is key. Uh, beginners not only have to learn the unfamiliar equipment, but trust it. Small groups and a handful of instructors are ideal for lots of hand-on demonstrations. The only downer is the cold and the shade and the heat hard of February. Stopping in place seems the only way to get warm. So that was the article in uh, Active.com by uh, Marty Bosch. Uh, so there's lots of articles out there about uh, how to build fires, but I like this one over at Lifehacker, lifehacker.com. This is by Whitson Gordon. Uh, how do I, question mark, this is from 616-2011, how to build a better fire both, both outdoors and in. Uh, building a better fire is one of those things you might sort of know how to do, but don't really have to do it that often. Building a fire is actually quite simple. Whether it's a campfire or a cozy one in your living room, here's how to do it. What you'll need. A safe place to start your fire if you're outdoors. It means a fire pit away from trees and bushes. Indoors, it means a fireplace with a good grate. A screen that will keep sparks from flying out and working flu that lets you open up to let smoke escape. Matches. Obviously, you'll need these to start a fire. Of course, you don't need matches. Any fire starter will do. Matches are generally the most convenient. Tinder, this is what you'll use to start your fire. Outdoors, this means small, dry sticks and twigs. While indoors, newspaper will work just fine. Kindling, this is wood that's slightly larger than tinder, usually a bit less than an inch in diameter. This will burn easily and get your fire going. Building a coal, coal bed under your larger wood, make sure this is dry. Logs, you know what these look like, usually a few inches in diameter. This is the wood that will go on. Your fire lasts, that'll build it up to the right size and keep it burning for a while. Again, you'll make sure, want to make sure this is dry before you use it. Water. You've heard Smoke the Bear say it a million times, so I won't bore you. But make sure you have some water handy to put out the fire when you're done. Only you can prevent forest fires. Note that lighter fluid is nowhere on the list. It's looked down on any as mainly as dangerous, and frankly, you don't need it. At best, you'll have some weird-tasting marshmallows. At worst, you could burn down your house. All you need for this is some good old-fashioned wood, and if done right, you'll have a solid fire going in no time. Building an outdoor campfire. If you're building a fire outdoors, you'll need to be a bit more resourceful than if you had the comfort of a fireplace. That means you'll need to find the wood kindling and tinder and you'll need to build a small fire pit if you don't already have one. Also, since you don't have a grate, you'll have to put a bit more work into structuring the fire. Also, there's also a video uh, that I'll put in the show notes. But here's step one. Step one, make sure you're away from trees, bushes, or anything that burns. You don't want to start any forest fires. Also, if you're at a campsite, double-check fires are permitted. Two, build a small fire pit. Protect the wood from falling into the area where you're sitting. Dig a small hole and surround it with rocks. If your campsite already has a fire pit, you can skip this step. Put some tinder in the center of your fire pit. Remember, tinder are the small sticks, twigs, and leaves you're going to get your fire used to get your fire burning. So the easier it burns, the better. Four, stack your kindling on top of the tinder in a teepee structure. Make sure to leave an opening on the side. You're going to light in general. You want more wood on the downwind side so you can shield people on that side of the fire. 
At this point, you have a fire-ready structure. You can build this as big as you want. Be careful. The structure doesn't matter as much. Some people like to build large teepees with the bigger logs, while others like to build a square structure around their small teepee. Generally, the square log cabin structure is better for letting out heat, but a teepee, teepee is easier to make into a large bonfire. Light your fire. Grab your matches and light the tinder. It helps to light it in a few different places to get it burning faster. Note that you may need to gradually add more tinder if the kindling takes a while to catch fire. As the fire burns, you can gradually make it larger by adding larger and larger sticks. That's it. You should have a roaring campfire in no time. And if you remember to save a few of those sticks, you can get your mallow roasting on. Be sure to put your fire out completely when you're done indoors. Uh, Once winter comes, you can start building indoor fires, but you'll have to change up your technique a little bit. We assume you already have all of your wood, but you also need to deal with the flu. Make sure you have a quality grate and a fire extinguisher nearby just in case. Before you do anything, step one, open the flu and make sure it works. You'll usually be able to feel the cold air coming in from the outside if it's open. The last thing you want is a house full of smoke. Two, grab your newspaper and crumble a few pieces up, throwing them into the back of the fireplace. These are going to act as our tinder, starting with our fire with an easy-to-light surface. Stack some of your kindling on top of the newspaper. Make sure you leave enough room in there for oxygen to circulate as your fire will need it to burn. You don't need too rigid a structure here since you have the grate and screen to keep the fire put together. Uh, Light your fire again. You'll want to light the tinder, or the newspaper in this case, in a few different spots to get it burning quickly. Your kindling should catch fire pretty easily. You can add a bit more kindling once it starts to create a nice coal bed. Five, once you got a small fire going, you can start to add bigger logs. You can usually lay these across a great lengthwise, then stack one or two on top diagonally. Remember to leave enough room for the oxygen to flow, as Gilly said. Breathe so everything catches fire easily. That's it. You should have a warm, crackling fire in no time. You can always add more logs if you want to keep it going longer, too. Be sure to put up that screen to protect the house from flying sparks. You don't want your carpet catching fire. Obviously, everyone has their own methods for building fires. There's no one way to do it. If you've got your favorite methods or tips, be sure to share them with Whitson Gordon, the author of this post. So that's uh, how to start a couple of good fires, you know, Gilly style, somewhat Gilly style. So thanks, Gilly. Thanks, Whitson. So uh, the wall, we have the wall. And there's always a lot to talk about when it comes to walls, but I wanted to bring up Pink Floyd, The Wall. And I think I missed this album, even though it was a little bit before, uh, and I didn't even remember, like, cool people talking about it. And I was like, well, um, let's see, when, when am I looking at the dates here? But, you know, I, I'm the oldest, so I didn't have, like, a cool other br- older brother to kind of teach me about this mu- music. So, but let's talk a little bit about The Wall. I, w- I wish we had all all the time to explore this stuff. But The Wall is, this is from Wikipedia, yeah, 11th studio album by Pink Floyd. The last uh, released album with the classic lineup of Gilmore, Waters, Wright, and Mason before Wright left the band. It was released on as a double album, November 30th, 1979. 
and supported by a tour with uh, elaborate effects and adapted into a film. I think Roger Waters just toured recently with it. Uh, as with Pink Floyd's previous three albums as a concept album, explores themes of abandonment and personal isolation. Somebody, can, anybody got Roger Waters? I, don't, I guess he's, he might be a little bit difficult to deal with. So same with me, but yeah, it follows Pink, a character whom bassist and lyricist Roger Waters modeled after himself and the original uh, band's original leader, Sid Barrett. Pink's life begins with the loss of his father during World War II, continues with uh, dealing with teachers, an overprotective mother, breakdown of his marriage. Hmm. Oh, boy. I'll contribute to his eventual self-opposed isolation from society, represented by a metaphorical pot wall. Roger... Waters conceived the album during the 77 In the Flesh tour when his frustration with the audience uh, became a wall, he imagined, between him, the audience, and the stage. It features a harsher and more theatrical style than their previous albums. It sold 11.5 million albums in the United States by 1999. Background. Pink Floyd's In the Flesh tour was their first in large stadiums in July 77, the final date at the Montreal Olympic Stadium, a small group of fans irritated Waters to the extent he spat on them. Oh, classy. He was not the only band member disaffected after the show. Gilmore refused to do the encores, money, their traditional encores, uh, leaving the band to just improvise. Later that night, uh, there was a foot injury and people fighting. Rogers was in a car with a couple guys. He said... Uh, he was talking about his feelings of alienation and his, as he articulated his desire to isolate himself by constructing a wall across the stage. He later said, I loathe playing in stadiums. I kept saying to people on that tour, I'm not really enjoying this. Enjoying this. There's something very wrong with this. Uh, while Gilmore and Wright were in France recording solo albums and Nick Mason was busy, blah, blah, blah. The spitting point became the starting point for a new concept which explored the protagonist's self-imposed isolation after years of traumatic interactions with authority figures and loss of his father. To execute the wall concept was to attempt to analyze the performer's psychological separation from the audience using the physical structure as a metaphorical and theatrical device. In 1978, the band... I got together at Britannia Row Studios where Water presented the idea, two new ideas for concept albums. The first was a 90-minute demo with a title Bricks in the Wall. The second was a project about a man's dreams across one night that dealt with marriage, sex, and the pros and cons of monogamy and family where life first promiscuity. Okay, concept and storyline. The Wall's a rock opera. Uh, Damon Dion, our backups, working on a rock opera that explores the same themes we've talked about. The songs uh, approximate a storyline of events in the life of Pink, with all of the traumas becoming bricks in the wall. The protagonist eventually becomes a rock star. His relationships marred by inf infidelity, drug use, and violence. And as his marriage crumbles, he finishes building his first wall, completing his isolation from human contact. Hidden behind his wall, Pink's crisis escalates, 
culminating in a hallucinatory onstage performance where he believes that he is a fascist dictator performing uh, Nazi-style concerts at rallies. Tormented with guilt, he places himself on trial with his inner judge ordering him to tear down the wall, opening pink to the outside world. The album turns full circle with the closing words. Isn't this where the first words of the first... Uh, the album includes several references to former band member Sid Barrett, including Nobody Home, which hints at his condition during the uh, Pink Floyd's canceled U.S. tour of 1967, with lyrics such as Wild Staring Eyes, the obligatory Hendrix Perm, and Elastic Bands Keeping it My Shoes On. Comfortably Numb was inspired by Waters' injection with a muscle relaxant to combat the effects of hepatitis during the In the Flesh tour while in Philadelphia. Um, uh, album was recorded in several locations uh, in France and Super Bear Studios, uh, CBS Studios in New York, Cherokee Studios in the Village Recorder in L.A. A plan to work with the Beach Boys was canceled. Uh, there's a lot more stuff here. Let's read about the tour, though. Tour during the, each performance of the band subsequent the wall tour, a 40-foot wall of cardboard bricks was gradually built between the band and the audience. Gaps allowed spectators to view various scenes in the story as animations were protect, projected onto completed parts of the wall. Several characters of the story were realized as giant inflatables, including a pig replete with crossed hammers logo. The tour opened at the L.A. Memorial Sports Arena February 7, 1980. One of its most more notable elements was the band's performance of Comfortably Numb. While Waters sang his opening verse in front of the wall, Gilmore waited in darkness at the top of the wall for his cue. When it came, bright blue and white lights would suddenly illuminate him, astonishing the audience. Gilmore stood on a flight case on casters held steady by a technician. Both precariously balanced atop a tall hydraulic platform. At the end of the concert, the wall was made to collapse, once again revealing the band. Along with songs in the album, the tour featured an instrumental melody, The Last Few Bricks, which was played before Goodbye Cruel World to allow the construction crew to complete the scenographic wall. In 1990, Waters and Tony Hollingsworth created the Wall Live in Berlin stage for charity at a site once occupied by the Berlin Wall. Beginning in 2010 and lasting through 2013, Waters performed the Island uh, album worldwide on his tour of the Wall Live. This had a much wider wall, updated higher quality projected content, and leading edge projection technology. So that's just a little bit about uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall. Uh, now, this next, next topic, to be honest, I, I, I have to look up why I was uh, brought this up. But once I went down this rabbit hole, it didn't really matter. And this won't be probably stretched. We're going to have to return to it because this is about Oliver Sacks. And I don't know, S-A-C-K-S, which I may be mispronouncing his name. But I don't have time to do him justice in just one segment uh, here tonight. So I'm going to include... His uh, kind of his New York Times uh, recent pre-obituary or whatever you want to call it, where he talks about um, 
his health condition and, and facing the end of life for you just peruse there. But this doesn't actually have to do with that. Uh, this is an article from Slate written by Tiffany O'Callaghan. Oliver Sacks wants to destigmatize hallucinations. That's uh, from November 11, 2012. And uh, it's stories from a new, from new scientist magazine. And I can't remember. I'm like, what is it? What was it about? Hallucinations or something. I don't know what came up during the episode, but I was like, uh, let's just read from this. Uh, Oliver Sacks is a uh, practicing neurologist. From, this is from the article and professor of neurology at NYU School of Medicine. He was born in London and has lived in New York since 65. He's the author of The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. And his latest book at the time of this article was Hallucinations. Uh, Tiffany Callahan, your latest book is about hallucinations. Why do you want to write about them? Sacks, I've been fascinated with them for a long time. I've touched on hallucinations in different ways in earlier books. But there's such a vast variety. There are so many causes, so much misunderstanding, and sometimes so much stigma attached that I thought it would be good to bring things together. An additional reason has been the beautiful neuroimaging in the last 10 years or so, which confirms that at least simple hallucinations tend to arise in sensory areas which serve normal, normally serve perception. You mentioned stigma. Do most people associate hallucinations with mental illness? Sex. I think there's a common view often shared by doctors that hallucinations denote madness especially if there's any hearing of voices i hope i can defuse or destigmatize no. i hope i can defuse or destigmatize this a bit this can be felt very much by patients there was a remarkable study of elderly people with impaired vision it turned out that many had elaborate hallucinations but very few acknowledge anything till they found a doctor they trusted there are a lot of situations where you might have hallucinations uh, what's the difference between hallucinations and imagination? Uh, I think, Sachs, I think you recognize that what you imagine is your own, whereas hallucinations, there is no sense of you having produced them. Uh, that's not how this podcast goes. Uh, one feels like, what's that? Where did that come from? I saw this very clearly many years ago in an older woman who heard... Irish songs in the middle of the night. She thought a radio was on. We couldn't find it. She then thought it was a tooth filling acting as a transistor. Finally, when certain tunes kept repeating, she wondered if it was a radio in her head, a mechanism not under her control, uh, not related to how she was feeling or thinking. That way of putting things is very common in people with musical with musical hallucinations. In the book Hallucinations, you share your experiences of your lost years in the 60s in California. Why write about this now? Sachs, the primary reason is uh, what happens with me is a potential source of information. I will, as it were, use my own case history as I use other people's. But perhaps, again, the fact that it was encapsulated in a time period, 63 to 67, 40 years ago, made me feel easier about describing them. You've experimented with LSD and other hallucinogens. Have those experiences informed your work as a neurologist? I think it has made me more open to my patients' experiences. For example, there's something I think of as stroboscopic vision, 
or cinematic vision where instead of seeing a scene continuously, you see a series of stills. I've had it, I've had it myself on LSD. I've had it in migraines. And my patients taking L-dopa sometimes describe it. So then rather than saying nonsense and closing my ears, I'm much more open to the descriptions. Uh, one time you had a conversation with a spider, dot, dot, dot. Sex with a spider, I should have known that it's impossible. That's one of the few times. This happens to me all the time. One time you had a conversation with a spider, dot, dot, dot. With the spider, I should have known that's impossible. It's one of those times I was completely taken in. The business, business of believing and being converted by hallucinations worries me. For example, a book has just been published by a neurosurgeon who had a so-called near-death experience and is convinced he saw heaven. I want to say strongly, hallucinations aren't evidence of anything, let alone heaven. Uh, you highlight a tendency for hallucinations, particularly those caused by seizures, to feel like religious experiences. Why is that? Sachs, hallucinations can be very powerful and per per persuasive. I think one might have to fight to de deny them weight. There is one case in history I put in the book, a young woman had some of those seeming relatively revelatory seizures, and she argued with God and said, don't you believe your senses? She said, not when I'm in a seizure. I think this is this is why it got brought up, is like the uh, visions of uh, Jojen during his seizures that brought this up. So at least now we're in full circle. Is there potential for people to follow commands that are given during hallucinations? Sachs, it's probable that Joan of Arc had command of hallucinations of a sort. At first, they would just present themselves as figures and voices with a light to one side. Only later did she feel these figures were telling her to go and do things. You also talk about how hallucinations can result from a loss of hearing or vision. Normally, there's a series of checks and balances in the brain to prevent any particular reason from taking off autonomously. If one loses these constraints, if one is blind or blindfolded, then the visual brain may take off on its own and utilize memory and imagination to give one hallucinations. I work especially in old age homes and see elderly people uh, with hearing and visual impairments, but quite clear mentally, I've been struck by their tendency to have hallucinations as the sense of perception is diminished. You have a visual impairment. Does this influence Does this influence whether you have hallucinations? Uh, Sex. I have low level I have low level hallucinations all the while. I see geometrical patterns and proto-letters everywhere. For example, looking up the ceiling as I'm doing now, I see angled forms, which look like letters or words. They reform and form very rapidly. Gradually, it's gotten more pronounced, but I can and do ignore it, just as I ignore my tinnitus, which goes with my deafness. I'm getting like my patients with auditory and visual impairment. I hope there's no impair mental impairment yet. Laughs. Do you worry that sharing your patient's story somehow exploits them? Sachs, I'm on this delicate boundary. I have been for 50 years or so. One time I was my own prime accuser. When I saw the word portrayal, I mis would misread it as betrayal. First, in addition to any formal consent, I want to be reassured from what I know of a patient that they won't be upset by anything. Uh, do you hope that sharing these stories changes people's perceptions? Is that a pun? You think? 
I'm, I'm not even being, I'm just wondering. Uh, sex, I feel that if I describe things respectively, tenderly, and truly, then there is an important thing to do. It's not voyeurism, it's not exploitation, but it's an essential form of knowledge. I think the detailed case history has no equal in conveying understanding, not only of what a condition is like, but of the ways in which a person may respond to a condition. I remember when an opera was made for my book, The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. I said to the librettist, you must go and see Mrs. P., the woman who was mistaken for a hat, and see how she would feel about this. I watched her watch the opera, wondering fearfully what she might be thinking. But she came up to me in the librettist and said, You have done honor to my husband. I hope in some sense I can do honor to the patients. Uh, this is your twelfth book. Does writing it help you make sense of the world? I don't often feel I've come to terms with an experience unless... I've had a go at describing it. This has been an almost lifelong disposition. I have notebooks going back to the age of 14. Uh, this article originally appeared in The New Scientist. And Tiffany O'Callaghan, the time of this publishing, is the culture lab editor at New Scientist. So that's one thing about Oliver Sacks. And uh, if you, we'll, we'll, get back, we'll, we'll get back to him, I'm sure. But if not, just, uh, you know, I've not I've not had the pleasure of reading any of his books, but uh, do yourself a favor and and, and check out the recent uh, op-ed in the New York Times. All right, uh, one one thing that comes up repeatedly in uh, at least season two, season three, and in season four is Arya's mantra, where she repeats all of the names of the people. She's kind of sworn vengeance against. And that made me think of like mantra meditation. And I try to meditate. I know med meditation. I'm pro-meditation. It has huge benefits. Proven like in, you know, double-blind actual scientific studies. But as well as like you know, history, as long as the history of humankind, I think it, people have been meditating. And of course, it's like one of those things I love to procrastinate about. I, I do a little bit of meditation. Um when I let my dog out to go to the bathroom, which is about, you know, it takes about four minutes. Usually if it, I get about 40 seconds of meditation out of that, depending on if there's a raccoon outside or there's a possum or, you know, it can quiet my mind. I say, well, let me look at it. I'm lucky because I get a, I think maybe I talked about this before, but I get a nice unobstructed view of the sky so I can see if it's clear, if there's fog or if there's, you know, other stuff. So, uh, but I don't, I've, I don't mantra meditate because that, that would involve, you know, sitting, you know, I haven't got to that point, but I would like to, but I figured I'd do some, you know, I said, oh, let's do some more lists on this show. So this is not, again, any pro meditators. I'm pro meditate. I'm on the meditation train. I'm, I, I have not, I'm planning on buying a ticket to the meditation, meditation train one day. And I believe in all the benefits. So, um. Let's check some. Uh, I got three pages. Uh, the first one is uh, meditation on how to speak. Uh, this one's from GaiumLife.com or Life.Gaium.com. I think that's G-A-I-A-M. Is that Gaium? This is a list of mantras from E.C. Lemieux, L-A-M-E-A-U-X. Four tips for, for selecting a powerful word or phrase. 
uh, this is a quote from the article, from the ancient tongues to contemporary English, a list of mantras is available in many languages. Uh, according to Thomas Ashley Farrand, an authority on Sanskrit mantras, both the ancient Indian Vedas and the Christian Bible place amount of importance on the spoken word. In addition to creating physical energy through vibrating vocal cords, speaking is also a powerful way to channel your positive thinking. Oh, okay, let's skip that. Famous mantras. Okay, let's run through some of these. Om, O-M. It's one of the most ancient Hindu and Buddhist mantras on the list. It's the sound Eastern lore holds that was made at the time of creation uh, when the Brahmin and universal consciousness split from one to many. According to the Om Sakti spiritual movement, Om Sakti holds that the repetition of Om in meditation causes vibrations similar to those occurring during creation, making it sacred. It's also a calm and simple syllable for a cleansing meditation. So, uh, soham, soham, um, soham, so I don't know the soham, uh, it's called a natural mantra to, to a person that can, without dyslexia, maybe to a person, person that can, you know, uh, called the natural mantra. Soham is the sound you make when you breathe, according to Swami Janish Vara. Bharati, take a few minutes to breathe deeply, listening to the sound you make as the air comes in and out of your body. It sounds like two syllables. Mine sounds like you're clogged if you're holding two straws very tightly. It's the easiest mantra for beginners on the list and a great way to become aware. I am, for some that would rather use English, is a powerful I am or a positive word of your choice, according to the Meditation Society of America, the goal of meditation is simply to force your mind. But my mind, I'll tell you what, don't, if you learn one thing from this podcast, people like us have no business forcing our minds. No offense, guy in life. My mind will not be forced. It will put up a fight. So let's move on. Sorry, they lost me there with that one. I don't, I don't know if you can force your mind. You could tr- practice it into doing stuff. Okay, this is from ProgrammingLife.net. The cultivation of happiness through spirit and intellectual knowledge. And this is by Matt Catlett, C-A-T-L-E-T-T, uh, from December 21st, 21 Mantras for Meditation. In Mantra Meditation, according to Matt, you repeat a sound or a short phrase again and again. It can be done out loud in your mind or a combination paraphrasing here is a spiritual path you can't just arbitrarily pick a mantra your guru or mentor assigns one to you and uh other forms of meditation spiritual now you can pick it from a list uh that are thought to resonate powerfully not all mantras work for all people using it helps you suppress the thoughts and distractions that arise so that's mantra 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 meditation one of many ways thanks matt it's uh, there's a lot of ways to meditate, according to this article. Besides using mantra, you can focus on your breath, music, a real object, a mental visualization, or nothing at all. If you're if you're just starting out, and I like gentle people like this, say don't don't feel like you have to start by picking a mantra. You can start meditation shopping the different approaches. 
Many guided meditations are contemplative, contemplative exercises for gratitude, cleansing, healing, energy. Uh, so he says that. But you might want a meaningless mantra. Another tip from Matt. For that matter, even in mantra meditation, you can pick any short phrase that has the same sort of cleansing, buffering effect. Buffering drives me crazy with the internet now. It was YouTube. It was like, come on. I don't know. Are they throttling my internet? Uh, against the mental trivia that inevitably rises like that during meditation or speaking. Uh, let's see. I'm going to skip ahead here, though, to the list. 21 mantras for meditation, A-U-M or Om, Om or Om, uh, Hindu or Sanskrit meaning to is, to or to become. Uh, next one up is be the change you wish to see in the world from Gandhi. Wow, that's powerful. Be the change you wish to see in the world. Hey, man, that guy, he was, he was, he was the greatest. El Shadi, Shadi, right? El Shadi. Uh, it's Hebrew meaning God Almighty. Elom. Elom. Uh, that's Hebrew, which means uh, to one to whom one has recourse in distress or when in need of guidance. Uh, every day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. That's from Laura Silva. Gate, gate, paragate, para samgate, bodhisattva. That's gate, gate, paragate, para samagate, bodhisattva, sava. That's Buddhist. Gone, gone, gone beyond, gone utterly beyond. Enlightenment. Hail. Ham, soham. Oh, at least he spelled it out to speak. That's the same one as before. Hamsa or soham. I am that. It says it means in Sanskrit. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. I think I said that one too many times. It doesn't have the meaning. I am that I am. That's Hebrews. God has answered to Moses. I change my thoughts. I change the world. Norman Vincent Peale. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. That's a Hawaiian I love you, I'm sorry, so tell me your name. So, uh, love is the only miracle that is. That's from Os- Osho, O-S-H-O. Marantha, 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 Marantha. That's Christian meaning come, Lord. Om Arapakana de, a Buddhist. And he says he's not even going to try to give us some meaning. Om Mani Pad Padme Hum. Hail the jewel in the lotus. Om Nama Shivaya. I bow to Shiva. That's from Hindu. Om Shanti Shanti Shanti. I like that Shanti really. Shanti, that goes off my mouth. If that's a Shanti, that's nice. Uh, if I if I have another next pet, remind me to call it Shanti. Uh, it's the starting of Om, followed by the peace of mind, peace of body, peace of speech. Om, Vajrapani, Vajrapani, V A J. I don't know how to pronounce the J in the middle. 
Vajrapani, Vajrapani, hum, om Vajrapani, hum. That's Buddhist, it doesn't say. Namo Amitabha, homage to the Buddha of the boundless light. Sabe Sate Sata Sukai Hontu, that's Buddhist. May all beings be well or happy. Sat Chit Ananda, existence, countenance, bliss. And then there's one more over at uh, selfhelprobot.com. This is a mantra list that you can use now. Uh, let's just see if there's any. Um, uh, Ram, Shiram, Ing, Aing, Shring, Shiam, Im, Aim, Shrim, Shiama, Ing, Im, Inga, Ima. Aying, I am, Ainga, Ayama, Shiring, Ing, M, Inga, Emma, Ang, M, Anga, Aim, Sharing, Sharim, Hiring, Hirim, Kiring, Kirim, Shiam, Shiama, Ang, M, Inga, Emma, Ang, aim, inga, aima, shiring, shirim, hiring, hirim, kiring, kirim, sham, shama, om, ami, dewahara, help overcomes all obstacles, om, tare, tuta, ture, soha, help overcome physical or mental blockages, Hmm. I don't know how that last one went, so I might delete that. All right, so that's uh, mantras. Hello, hello, this is Tommen. Uh, Lord, Lord Tommen, Prince Tommen, some have called me, some have known me by that name. But if any title makes me the most proud, it is a title I wear with pride. Because it's a story about a wear, wearing things. It is a title I wear with joy, and I button it up, and I say, I look in the mirror, I say, I am now dressed in the finest finery a, a boy could wear. I, I wear the best friendship of one Sir Pounce, the greatest cat ever to not, uh, be known. Uh, I, I've now heard about this p puss in boots. No, 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 my friends. You have not known a cat until you've, you, you, would, you, you would never know. Uh, you can only hear the tales and not believe them. They are so wonderful of the great Sir Pounce, who, as you probably already figured out, is my best friend. And if you were to ask Sir Pounce, he'd say, Hey, Sir Pounce, you know, I know, I have heard of, uh, you know, I almost fainted when I heard about you, just the name Sir Pounce. But do you have a best friend? He would say, yes, I do. He would say, it's Tommen. We're best friends, a boy and a cat. Friends forever, forever. Best friends. And I'm here to tell you the tale. You know, I, I tell tales. I talk to you. Of, uh, so, you know, adventures of Tommen and Sabounce that happen in worlds, non-fictional worlds, just like your own. And this happens to be a tale of learning lessons that was, it's called The Cat in the New Suit. 
the cat in the new suit, and I... I am happy to tell you this tale because I am the, the one who witnessed this tale. What? What? what hold one second. What is it about? What? No, this. What do you mean? I did not run this by you. You know, it's okay, Serpent. You can trust me. We're best friends. They're just two friends chatting. No, never mind. Never you mind. So this is the tale of the cat. Uh, yes, the cat in the new suit. No, no, no. It's a, it's a story, I suppose. It's a, it's a venture we went on, remember? A fictional adventure, but not a fan-fictional. Remember, no more fan-fiction. Sapounce understands. He's just giving me a hard time. He's saying, oh, Tom and Zahn, uh, time to, uh, you know, have a play. This is what best friends do. They play. But, yeah, see, he's, he just licked my... He likes sometimes when he knows I'm saying I'm trembling. Uh, he say he licks between my thumb and my finger that part of my hand, and he says, "Don't worry, I'm your best friend. I won't bite you. I have my sandpaper tongue here licking you." Anyway, I'm here to tell you a tale about a cat in a new suit. I think did I say that was the name of it? Now, now that we're here in this world, this new world. And with my new friend Podman, Amdi, Amdi, the Podman. And he says, well, you can come hang here when things get, because they said time flux something. He says, no one will know you're gone. I said, well, show, uh, show me your world. And I, he said, okay, well, uh, let me teach you about uh And I said, well, 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 I, I have many... And I said to the potman, you know, I, many people think Tommen is such a, and I know you and I, we are friends, not best friends, but friend, we have a friendship. And I, I and Sabounce is my best friend, but I, you know, best friends don't, that doesn't mean they know everything. So I was wondering if I could ask you some things, potman. He said, sure, Tommen, I might not, you know, I'll, I'll do my best to help you. And I said, well, I, I know that, uh, I see these fancy men in the courts. Like, uh, you know, I've talked in the past about uh, Lintel. Uh, uh, Lintel, not uh, another character, a similar name, Lancel. This is a Lintel. He was a fancy, fancy young man, fancier than me, very well. And, and he seemed, uh, uh, I always said, well, I, I like the look of Lintel. You know, do you know what I mean, Podman? And he said, you mean he looks sharp, Tom? And I said, well, I said, it's sharp, sharp. And I said, yes, I said, I guess so. I said, wow. He said, and he said, is it like he's like a, a cool cat, like a cat, like Pounce? And I said, well, I suppose you're correct. And I, he said, well, what's the matter, Tom? And what, what, tell me more. What, what, what's behind your question? He said, and I said, but man, you know right through me, uh, you're like so pounds, but you talk and you, you're not as good as so pounds. And you, you, you know, there's many things, you flaws you have. But anyway, Batman, uh, yes, I have. Uh, I've been thinking about Kelpalina. You know, she was the uh, kelp goddess. But so pounds and I met on the adventure we had when you weren't around. And back where I'm from, they've made me say never, never speak of Kelpalina again. My star, my. And then they said, you remember that spinach you had, Podman? They said, well, they found some. And they said, I want you to eat this. And I said, no, this is like uh, Gilbert Lena's hair. Is it quiet? Where's that? 
and it was it was terrible. And I said, they, and then they made me, you know, you know this one, Badman. He said, swear to me you'll never swear to you never. They brought me into the uh, what do they call that place? Uh, I don't know. With all the friggin' pot, you know, the, where they hold the weddings and stuff, the sept, uh, sept, and they had the sept in, and they said, swear here in front of the god, all the gods, you know. You will never speak of this Kelpalina. And I said, of course, I, mother, I swear forever. There was no Kelpalina. I was saying, um, you know, yeah, yep, 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 Ray, yep, Ray, I'm so happy to be me. So happy, so happy to be back. You know, not wandering in any other worlds, mother, strange worlds that have my madness. You say, what is this? I don't understand this madness. Bring me another maester. And then uh, you may see you get mad. I, that's all. I, I was just, I was mistaken. There is no Kelpalina. No beautiful queen of the, uh, uh, not the sea, but the part closer to land. Not the open sea queen. You know, none of that is real. And then I said, so anyway, Podman, so I was thinking, though, though I told them, I said, don't believe in that. <laughs> I said, well, uh, what if, you know, I, I would like, if I was to run into a, a sea queen, I, w I said, well, I'd like to look my best. Do you, you get what I'm getting at? And he, he said, uh, and I said, you know who Kelpalina is? And he said, I remember your story. And he said, but I don't remember you being out of my sight. To, and, he goes, I, and he said, of course. And then he said, he said oh, yes, yes. I, of course, Kepo, what would you, you so you want to get dressed up? And I said, I want the finest, you know. And, he, and I said, well, he said, well, Tom, this is a tr tough one because she's a sea queen. And would you, you know, would you want to be, are you planning on meeting her in the sea? Or in the land, and I said, "Oh boy, what is that?" And he said, "Because you know." And then we went. He said, "Well, let's go to this place." He called it the Max, the Maximus of Tijas, Tija Max. And he said, "Sapans, can I come?" And I said, "Oh." And he said, "Don't talk to anybody, and you know, stay close." So we went to the Max, Max. I think that means that you know. I think they say that there was a warrior once named Max. Maximum, well, mother used to say, maximum vavavum. I heard her say it one time in my room, maximum vavavum. But I, I don't. Is he? Uh, but he took me to this place. It was called the Max. And I said, well, I, and we went in. I said, I did not know. I thought you were a common man because there was servants everywhere, and many. I said, this is like where I keep my clothes. I said, but it much different. This place is lit so much nicer. Oh, there's toys. Oh, there's toys. I said, and he said, Tom, and I said, and I said, oh, I said, uh, and it took for, I said, well, let me play with these toys. And I played, there was many dolls. He said, these are dolls. I said, these are different than my dolls. I love these dolls. Oh, and he said, oh, that's it. And then I said, he said, and then a man came. He said it was a, he said it was a knight. And the man said, uh, what is it? You're going to buy it. And he said, this boy's yelling and drooling on the toys. And he said, sir. 
And I said, is this a good day, sir? And, I, and he said, Tom, this is too much. This has been done before. So we need to forge forward in this story. And I said, but this is this is fun. And then I, uh, I said, wow, you dress as a lady and a man. And I, and I, I mean, he had more servants just to dress him. And I, he said, don't talk to my servants for their, uh, their, you know, he made up some stories and they will have to go on the farm with the milkmaid if you talk to them. And I said, well, I would not want that. And there was even children working in the store. And even though I'm a Lannister, I have no children. And he said, they're not working here. It's rich. But anyway, we, he said, let's try some clothes on you, Tom. And he said, these are swim trunks, swim trunks. And he, he says, he, we tried those on, and they have uh, uh, strange things in there that go around my, uh, my, my uh, the parts of me that say, hey, Kalbalina. That's what it says every morning. It says, hey, Kalbalina, think about me more. I'm, you know, he, 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 my privates. And uh, he had a net for them. And he, I said, is this to catch my privates for Kalbalina? Because they want to find her. And he said, yes, Tom. And it's to keep them safe and special because they are for only you and who you choose to share them with. Did you ever talk to you about this? And we had a long conversation, very confusing. I said, the mace did this once, but he was drunk. And he tried to show me uh, some pictures of drawings, and it was gross. And he said, well, just remember the the, the netting is there to keep, keep him for. And he said, I don't want to talk about this anymore. And I said, neither do I. Let us get some of these, uh, these uh, private nets. So we bought many pairs of, well, he said, I, I said, wait, let's go put these on. And I, he said, no, 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 this is not how it works here, the max. Yeah, and I, I, I could not understand. He said, if you must, and then I started to put them on in the store. He said, you cannot change here. And I said, the servants know not to look at my, my nakedness and not be shamed by it, but not notice. And he said, this is a difference. It was, a long, it was a long day, he said. He said afterwards, after the max, he said, oh, because Sapan said, rough rhyme. I think that means what's wrong, what's with the face. Cause, and I, I said, Sapan, what have you been up to today? And he, he laughed and rolled around. And the podman said, probably a lot of pregnant cats in my neighborhood now. Not not something new. And and he he petted Sir Pounce and Sir Pounce uh, says I don't like you petting me. He gave him that like he's okay okay. And then uh, so uh, what was my point? I, my point was that uh, I have these special uh, shorts. Uh, he says that the swim trunks. I don't know. He said they can go in the water. So we got those. Now, then he also got me a, uh, he said, this is a water shirt. He said, I don't, he, he goes, it was after my time, but all the people wear these kids. And he said, with your uh, upper class flesh, you should, you need to keep it covered. And then it keep you warm because I bet you'll get cold. And he said, so when I go under the water, uh, he said, it'll be better than not having your shirt on. Plus, he goes, you better keep that under control. You're a little, uh, you have a frame of a wealthy man, he said to me, uh, the body of a wealthy man. 
And I said, well, thank you. And he said, well, I said, probably, yeah, sure. And uh, so I have that. And so the cat with the new suit is me. For I have a swimsuit with special netting for my things. And I have a shirt, a, a swim shirt. He said, swim shirt. And then he said, well, because I, I was so excited. I I've never... Uh, going to a common man's kingdom, I said, well, I have to look at you a whole new way. Maybe uh, this is how common people live here. I want to live like common people. I want to do what common people do. And he said, don't start that time. We already troped it once. And I said, okay, okay, well. And he said, he goes, I know you're excited. Everyone gets excited when they buy things. That's why we're, we stay common people. We go and spend our money and it's so much fun. I'm a nuke. So he goes, I know you're excited. So he said, let us go to the pool. It is like a practice place for Kabbalina. So we went to the pool, and I put on my trunks and my shirt. And I went in the wet. He said, never speak of it, even on the microphone, what had happened. Uh, But they said, never come back here again, for the police will come. I said, what is the police? He said, as a... Uh, never mind, Tom, and never speak of this, what has happened here. Uh, but I did, I'll tell you this, I will speak of I went in the water, and it was nice, and I said, Oh, I'm being in my net. My net is filling with pee. It felt like it was so wonderful. The water was warm, and it was like I was floating and then it said, the pee just said, you know, usually it's, can't you hold it, Tom? And that's what happens to me all the time. I told you to hold it. I said, you cannot go. It's a royal wedding. It's for your cousin Virgil or whatever. Um, but my pee said, I'm coming out, Tom, and to warm you even further and play in your net. Uh, so that, and that was not the problem. He, he said, uh, Tom and you pee. And I said, yes. He said, well, stand farther away from me. And and I said, why? And he said, well, I don't want our peas to uh, coagulate. He said, because you know, he was peeing as well, I believe. And I said, well, so I am not, you're not going to shame me from peeing? And he said, no, no, no. That's what he goes, everyone denies it, Tom. But, you know, he said, don't worry. And he said, as a matter of fact, this isn't even our pool. It's just, it's just some guy's pool. And then that's when things went. He said, the things have gone horribly wrong, Tom, and it is my fault. And he said many things to the man, and the man said, well, I said, well, well. so he said, make amends or something, make it right. So that's the story. I am the cat with the new new suit, swimsuit, swim shirt, ready to dive in for a date with Kelpalina one day. One day will come when I and Kelpalina will, will be one, I, well, maybe one. I don't know. He said, don't say that. But, you know, my net will finally, uh, well, I don't know what it is. Why? Yeah. Hmm. What's it? What do you do? I'll have to, I got to go ask the podman more. But this has been the tale of Sapounce. He kind of took the week off, I guess. And Tommen and the cat. That's me. The cat, the cat in the new suit. I'm so happy, I'm, and I'm going to put on another suit right now, and maybe find a pool. Okay, goodbye. Uh, it's time for my prayers. 
Miller, Smith, Barky, Jester, Crone, sweet, sweet Crone. It's me, your humble servant, dialing you guys up. Uh, greetings from uh, from uh, my earthly world of uh, my earth, my, er, you know, where, hi. I am just calling this, uh, or prayer, excuse me, praying. Callings, really. Well, I guess people still make calls. Um, well, guys, I was like, what are we going to talk about? And, uh, you know, I guess I should have discerned pre-discernment. I don't want to get pre, you know, pre-discern in my, you know, I say something dirty crone, but too much pre-discernment. Um, what was I saying before I was trying to make so I'd be witty? I apologize for that, guys. But anyway, I, I, I was like, well, what are we, what have we been up to this week, guys? And how, and, uh, you know, you guys don't get, I'm, I'm like, well, should I keep on this, you know, popular culture thing do the gods like it do they you know what is it crone you know haven't heard good or bad so neutral um you form these new relationships with you guys and neutral you know what's a neutral you know relationship like with the crone when she's not giving you the you know it's like you're not giving me the silent treatment a miller you know if he's not mad at you that means you're not getting ground so anyway, guys, I was like, well, what do we, what, what should I roll with? You know, I, I don't know, instructing you did not go well a couple weeks ago. Last week, my attempts at, uh, I don't know what they call that, uh, may, you know, may, sing a prayer and along to song. Huh, that would have sounded nice, that prayer and along to song. But I didn't um, think of that last week. That didn't go well. I, I edited it. I was like, oh, it doesn't sound so bad. Uh, but I didn't. I didn't feel like I did Zeppelin, you know, any any justice. But I was thinking, you know, we're we call ourselves the humanity gods, us humans, uh, biped mammals, and I don't know, and I don't know how you guys refer to us, especially you guys, since you're, you know, again, I have questions about. You know, by praying to you, did I bring you into creation? Did I formulate, you know, did was there some spiritual essence that then became a mold for my prayers that you are now cast in and free to move about? Or like if I stop praying to you, will the, uh, will you kind of like, um, like, uh, what do you call that? I had the word and then I forgot it when you like uh, dematerialize. It's another word though. Uh, fancier, you probably would be, be good. But we watched, uh, what was that, Friday? We watched Assistant Four Gods, and I figured we better talk about that because there's a lot to unpack there, including, you know, humanity's relationship with the gods, I think. So one is that that's a, a movie again, but don't get mixed up with Guardians of the Galaxy or Snowpiercer, or uh, Whiplash, or Better Call Saul, or whatever movie, or, you know, Zeppelin. Uh, it's a nonfiction film, meaning uh, that everything in it should be real. Uh, hmm, uh, like, a, it's like, a, I don't know, you, you guys are gods, you should be able to figure out, it's like true, so this story, Citizen Four, 
was about this young man, Edward Snowden, gods, and he was a, leak, a leaker of information. It was one, one way to say it. And it was kind of a story about him and Glenn Greenwald, who was a reporter uh, who was covering the leak, and then another reporter whose name escapes me, and then Laura po- 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 Laura P, whose name last name I can't I, I keep Potras Potras I think it is. It was kind of their stories. Now she, she Laura was not on film. She was the filmmaker. The filmmaker. I don't know if there was a cameraman or if it was just her. But guys, it was like a tale. Uh, it wasn't a tale. It was true. And it was weird. It was like a, they captured this. It was history. It's already the history of its past kind of and still ongoing. But they just caught this one window of time where he was actually giving them the, like it was like where he was actually leaking the information, explaining it to him. And uh, kind of just uh, I guess you got to see it. Got spoiler alert uh, if anybody hasn't seen it. But I guess it's not really a spoiler alert because you already knew. It's more like uh, you're getting a look into somebody's hotel room window in some really very real sense and watch stuff unfold. It's edited, you know, better together. And then you got shots of Glenn Greenwald in uh, Brazil. And he's a big dog owner, gods, uh, Barky. I don't know, trees and dogs. I mean, bark. a lot of people call their dogs Barky. Or, you know, refer, I refer to one dog as Barky. No offense to you, Barky, but he barks a lot. So, uh, yeah, let's see. But I was thinking, I was like, man, so if you follow the movie or you follow this Edward Snowden, the leaks, gods, what's... uh. I, like I'm like, well, I, I I was curious. I'm like, okay, I didn't read about the movie. I won an Oscar. Really well done. Really breathtaking. How they just caught this mo- these moments on film. But at the same time, I was like, well, what is the story here? What? Because there was a couple moments with Edward Snowden where it was open to you're like uh, you're watching him, and then you're it's open to interpretation. You're like, oh well, this is where I could in this empty space of him sitting on his bed, or prepping to go out of the hotel. This quiet moment, my heart and my mind can fill in what I wanted to fill in about him. Facts or no facts. And I was like, oh, was that deliberate? But that's confusing stuff, guys. I don't mean to confuse you. My point was, though, the stuff that he leaked, gods, it, it reminds me of uh, a saying that I don't really remember about how humanity, you know, tries to emulate you guys. And I was struck by how much uh, in this new digital era, uh, these people, the NSA, U.S. government, other governments are really... And I don't even think they realize it. They're like, oh, wait, we want to be the gods. And they're taking all this information. We have gods like, um, oh, boy, it's hard to explain. But uh, so I'm talking to you guys. Now, the good thing is prayers aren't encrypted. It could be. Mine mine are kind of encrypted by nonsense. A key of uh, a veil of uh, indecipherability of a confused man, but I guess then they would, but you guys can unpack them on the other end because you're gods. Um, what's my point? So, 
you know, but there's no, otherwise there's no one listening in. If there is, it's like not usable information. They might be listening in, but it, say I was calling my mom. Well, yeah, it's not, say I was calling my mom and then I made another, like all that information we do, God's, you know, when I'm on the internet and I say, Crone, prayer of no what, prayer, privacy, prayer time, Crone, what I'm doing online now. Uh, incognito, crone. And same when goes to rest of you guys. I don't need you watching me either. Uh, that's uh, what I'm doing on there. And sometimes I'm banking. I don't mind you guys watching me bank. Because there's, you know, there's very little going on with that. Just like, oh boy, we used a little bit more gas than we anticipated this month. Oh, great. Um, more when I call and yell at the cable companies. Uh, so all that stuff though, it, it gets recorded somewhere basically. And then say I do something like so, say all of a sudden, let's just this is a what do you call it? I'm I'm, I'm making this up, but uh, say the say the jester starts selling swords made by the uh, smith to uh, some sort of group that the jester thinks is funny that's stirring up trouble. And they link it by, they say, well, this guy, we didn't have this jester god previous to this man. But, well, no, they, they wouldn't. We got to, I got to stay in the present for now. They said, well, this jester god is causing a lot of trouble. And this uh, smith god, and it looks like they're giving oatmeal out too to these guys, troublemakers, protesters, rabble rousers, uh, zeitgeisters, you know, schadenfreuders. Uh, you know, uh, what do you, uh, there's another word I'm trying to get to, but, uh, whatever, you know, patrol, you know, people that are making, making, uh, true, you know, that, that they want to get it. So they say, well, when did this all start? And then they say, well, we, we got this one guy, he, he, you know, certain, certain times he says, gesture, this sweet, sweet crone. And then, so then they can search all the way back in the history of all my prayers to you guys. And then they say, well, let's just figure out where this guy's been. And they can do all that, like almost like an all-seeing God in some sense through this stuff called metadata, which would be like, um, like let's just say, which one of you guys likes sheep? I mean, as far as keeping it, you know, you, we don't have a shepherd God I'm praying to. Crone, you would know, though, like if you were like, you know, looking down at a flock of sheep, you would know the names of the sheep, right? You would know their lifespans because you, you see into the future. You'd know the shepherd. So you'd know, oh, Fluffy, Fluffy's uh, going to go step on a, uh, what do you call that, like a, a pointy thorn later. That's like metadata. Fluffy is a piece of data. Thorn's a piece of data. Fluffy's stepping on a thorn. That's a piece. I think that's my understanding of metadata. And then you'd be like, well, later, uh, you know, Fluffy will be the one they, uh, you know, because Fluffy can't keep up. Uh, Fluffy will get extra love. Uh, we'll, we'll put it that way. Extra love and attention inside a belly. Uh, I mean, patting on the Fluffy's belly because she's such a lovely sheep. So you'd say, well, I, that you use your metadata to figure that out. I mean, because you can – but I guess you're kind of like the NSA crone because you know you can reach in the past and the future. Now, they can't reach into the future. They just say, well, 
you know, if someone uh, is uh, planting thorns, we want to, hmm, this isn't, I'm not doing the best job explaining this, God's. But they'd say, well, uh, uh, how are we going to catch this jester, God? Let's go back to that and the, the smith. Why is this guy pray to the crone so much? Is this crone real? What does she you know? The meta, I was trying to explain metadata. I think I got that out. And what are they going to do with all this information? Those are a lot of the people, people things are pretty, they're like, okay, well, if I, you know, what, who, whose hands are this in? Who can we trust? Like, you guys are gods. That's kind of like a, um, you're non humanity, technically, as far as we know. Uh, though, Jester, you might be like a 50 50. Miller too, but Crone and Smith. As far as I know, you guys are a hundred percent. I mean, you're another world's gods that I've, by praying to you, brought you into this world. But Embarky, you're straight god. That I don't beyond my understanding totally. So I don't know if you're what trees are holy and what aren't. But uh, uh, so it's like, well, with all this metadata, with all like Crone, if you if the bad guys had you, and then they said, well, let's just download Crone's brain, which means take out the info, put it somewhere else, so we could look at it. Uh, they'd be able, like, oh, Biff Tannen, that's maybe a good example, guys. So did you see Back to the Future too? Um, no critical commenting on it at all. It took place this year, I think. But what happened was it's some time travel thing. He gets this gambling book or sports book. So then if he becomes rich because he's able to bet on all the games, it changes all the history, messes stuff up for Marty. He might make out his mom multiple times. I think that was the problem. Something like that. And uh, Doc Brown, Doc Brown falls in love in the third one, I think. The second one. Uh, Doc Brown's in it. I met Doc Brown one time, uh, someone pretending to be Doc Brown at like a Universal Studios. He's got my picture with him. I don't know if I have that picture. Um, so, you know, what would the bad guys do with your info, Crone? And what if they said, oh, we're good, but, you know, our, our, like the Lannisters, was there ever a good Lannister? Or the Baratheon? Well, you wouldn't want the Baratheons in charge. Well, yeah, let's say... Again, just imagining, uh, you know, Ned Stark had the crone's brain and he could, you know, consult it and be like, well, Ned Stark, we trust him with crone's brain. Oh, Lannisters are no good. Okay, let's get rid of the Lannisters. Okay, I guess I should be king because Robert's a bum. Uh, You know, okay, Robert, I'll be king. And then let's say Rob's next. And then Rob's like, yeah, he's not a bad king, whatever. If something happens because uh, his judgment's not the perfect. He's a good man, but not a – he wants to be a great leader. He just Maybe he's too young. I don't know. So they say, well, something happened with Rob. Stepped on a thorn and, you know, went to the special place where everybody just says, oh, we love you the mo- so much. And then you say, well, Bran's in charge. Pretty cool. Possibly a lot of crossover stuff with you, Barky, and stuff. But then let's say it gets down to Rickon. And from what we know about Rickon so far is he's extremely annoying with walnuts. He has a look on his face that is sometimes irritating. He might be, he say, oh, I'm just an innocent little boy. But we don't know what the future holds. But let's say he says, walnuts, 
you know, that's all you can eat forever. Everybody is walnuts. Or he is the only one that can eat walnuts, and we don't get the, well, I don't, you know, I don't know. He does, He's up to trouble with walnuts, and he ends up like all the, like, uh, the more negative, uh, stark aspects of being bratty, you know, early season stark activities. Not Ari or Johnson. Well, let's say Brand, Brand said, Rickon, well, we're talking about Rickon. He says, oh, I don't like Arya. And then he says, you know, go catch her or something. We don't want Crone's brain being used for catching Arya or Jon Snow. They're cool. Or he says, I don't like the onion night. I don't like onions. I like walnuts. Uh, that would be the worry they were talking about in season four. Now, one thing, God's, because I got to wrap this prayer up, is that, you know, if you're going to think about all this, one thing I think about is the money. It's like how much money is collected. I would be more concerned with how much money is getting dumped into this. You know, all of us are freaking scraping by here. And I never hear any mention about this uh, Booz Allen. That's who uh, Edward Snowden worked for. They're not, they don't work. They're, you know, the government's paying them. How much are they paying them? I, that just could get me on some kind of list, though. But yeah, how many billions and trillions of dollars is going as collecting information and like how good is their databases? Maybe they're getting like have you ever tried to use a government database for anything? And uh, you know, or said, Hey, can I pay my parking ticket online? Well, yeah, you gotta have a user ID. Do you have a user ID to check your user ID? Wait, do did you get your password? Uh we sent it to you in nineteen eighty four. Well, I wasn't alive in 84. Well, yeah, okay. yeah. Without that, I can't help you. So, I don't know, guys. Is that humanity is doomed to try to, like, we're like, well, we got to have all the bases covered and be just like the gods and figure out what these bad guys are up to. Don't worry, we're only out to get the bad guys. Uh, but then somebody would, and then another person, well, the bad guys are us. And I just, my more thing would be, like, none of us know what the hell we're doing, gods. I mean, clearly I'm praying to you guys because, uh, you know, I couldn't get along with the other, all the other options. And I said, well, uh, let me create some moment gods, you know, polytheistic it up, you know, borrow this god. Because I like you guys. And I say, hey, well, if it's working, and if by working I mean you guys haven't destroyed me or helped me, or giving me, you know, that's, I guess that's all I could ask for. Neutral, you know, even Steven, they say. I don't know, God. So, uh, the Citizen Four, I don't know if you guys were paying attention and you had any questions you could ask me. That might be an easier way to do it, but, uh, otherwise I'm going on the assumption that I'm making sense to you. Or you just don't care because you're, you're overbooked. Which, you know, that's just the way it is. I'm just, you know, a carrier of my own metadata and trying to, I, I can't make sense of my metadata guys. I just got to, you know, I got to live my life and create the metadata tags and the, the connections and one, one, one discrete piece of information at a time. Because I'm not made up of ones and zeros guys. I'm made up of, uh, you know, human stuff like, uh, you know, whatever, the, you know, carbon. And I think that, I mean, that might be it. Carbon in different arrangements, maybe. Hydrogen atoms. What is there? There's like electrons and neutrons. There's some dark matter. 
And so maybe it is ones and zeros. I don't know. Is uh, hmm, I don't know. There's, is there paramecium's in me? Gets is that one? Is that a good thing? Golgi apparati, Golgi complexes, um, whatever. Some other stuff's in there. And then it's like, is there a spiritual part of me or not? Is there? Do I have feelings, uh, or am I in denial about not having feelings? Uh, is there a heart? Is it just a piece of you know carbon arrangements or whatever we're talking about? There's a periodic table they got, guys. Maybe you could work on explaining that to me. So that's it, guys. I hope I uh, didn't offend you. And maybe, you know, and I liked Edward Snowden. I liked the movie in summary. I thought they did a great job. Um, it was it was just, it was eerie watching this young man face this crisis and try to deal with it in a way that felt live, you know, like we were watching a live feed. Uh, and I think, he, in my opinion, he is, uh, I think, like, whether, what it, no person has pure, clear motivations for what they do. So I think he's here. He said, well, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know what he was thinking. And, I mean, I think the results of what he did, well, who knows? Maybe he's right. Maybe key people will be more brave to tell the truth. But then it's on us. It's like, well... You know, I got the podcast to do, that whole thing. I don't really want my metadata to be tracked, even though I already screwed up and said stuff. So, you know, I don't need anybody listening to my prayers to the crone, or I want to ask you to plug your ears and eyes and nose, crone, for the incognito time. Because uh, I know they won't. They'll be like, hey, everybody gather on my desk. Podcast boys have an incognito time. With uh, Remember that one site he was on? What about that way? Is he's he's that one of his eyes always squeezes shut? It's so strange, in it. So I don't need that, God. So all right, uh, you know, good talk, and I'll be back to to you know I'll I'll, I'll talk to you guys next week, I guess. Uh, yeah, bye.